So I'd like to start off just by um, acknowledging that um, uh, I'm coming here to you. I'm in Teaneck, New Jersey, and that is the land of the Lenape and the Ramapo peoples originally. And the, the reason I know it's kind of like one of the things that we do now is to really bring forward um, the acknowledgement of the lands that we are on. And any of you that would like to presence that, feel free to put that in the chat room. Um, and if you, if you don't know what land you're sitting in, that might be one of the things you leave here being interested in finding out. Uh, one of the reasons why I uh, make sure that that gets presenced is because it's part of the deconditioning and reconditioning that's really being called forward in these times. You know, to remember and acknowledge and respect and honor that none of us, none of us, um, unless you are a person of indigenous heritage, were original occupants of this land. Yeah. So that's why I like to do that because it, it makes it really present and allows us to see at least one thing really clearly that's been covered for quite some time. So what I'd like to do next is to um, call in the ancestors. And you know, some of this may be ways that I uh, hold on to as we move through time and I continue to teach, but particularly and specifically and intentionally in response to the times that we're living through now. I think it's really important to, again, acknowledge and um, bring forward the ancestors. So um, we'll, we'll leave it with everyone's mic off. Um, I will bring forward some ancestors um, um, that are more public and recent, and, and then I will um, begin to bring forward some of the ancestors that um, I acknowledge. And when I'm doing that, I invite you all to do that um, without turning on the mics, because uh, then it'll just be cacophonous. But in your space, to really name out loud um, those ancestors who you'd like to acknowledge and, and bring into the space. So let's just do that, and then we'll move on to the next thing. So some of the ancestors that I'd like to bring forward now that have been more public and have actually been um, instrumental um, in bringing us to where we are in, in the culture and the society um, right now, along with, of course, the pandemic um, circumstances. But I'd like to um, say the name of Brianna Taylor, uh, Vanessa Gillian, Sandra Bland, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Philando Castile, and Richard Brooks. And the kind of in this modern time or in this time, meaning over the last 50 years, kind of the first public um, uh, person that joined the land of ancestors is Emmett Till. Just wanted to really make that present. So I invite you all now to bring forward whatever individual ancestors that you'd like to bring forward, whether they be blood or um, connected into energetically and saying them out loud. 
John Ellaby, Elizabeth McNeil, to complete this piece if Ian if you would play that piece for me now and so we're going to just listen for uh, three or four minutes to this piece of of music by uh, Sweet Honey in the Rock Bye. 
Thank you, Ian. Um, so partly why um, I offer that to you this morning in relationship to our beginnings is a couple of reasons. One, um, in these times, or maybe just in general, um, it's actually an opportunity to step out of our conditioned normative way of engaging with learning, listening, hearing, involving the whole body, the nervous system, the mind, the heart. Um, and so it sets the conditions or it sets a container really of um, openness and allowing um, and keeps us um, at least momentarily dropped down out of that intellectual analytic um, uh, linear patriarchal white supremacist way of thinking right and there's nothing there's nothing wrong with analytic thinking there's nothing wrong with investigation there's no, so i'm not purporting that i don't want you to take it like that but it is imbalanced and it really sets the conditions where the whole body is not engaged in being present and being with ourselves and being with others. So that's a lot to say about what music brings the possibility. And it may not do you, it may not be something that all of you would be interested in, but I invite you to start to really take a look at how we practice and what we bring forward and how we delineate when we're practicing and when we're not practicing. You know, as in an effort to really support you in considering that really what's being called for um, um, outside of many other things like voting is um, actually being in practice 24-7, right? And, and that there are many modalities and forms and ways that that can look. So just wanted to put that forward. And now I'm gonna read a poem to you. Um, with this open time, you do not have to write the next best-selling novel. You do not have to get in the best shape of your life. You do not have to start that podcast. What you can do instead is observe this pause as an opportunity. The same systems we see crumbling in society are being called to crumble in each of us individually. The systems that taught us we are machines that live to produce and we are disposable if we are not doing so. The systems that taught us momentary gain takes priority over humanity. The systems that create our insecurities and then capitalize off of them. What if we became curious with this free time and had no agenda other than to experience being? What if we created art for the sake of creating? What if we allowed ourselves to rest and cry and laugh and play and get curious about whatever arises in you? 
what if our true purpose is in this space? As if Mother Earth is saying, we can no longer carry on this way. The time is now, and I am reminding you who you are. Will you remember? That's by Emma Zeck, Z-E-C-K. Yeah, so when I was uh, invited to come, and um, it's actually um, because of the pandemic that I'm able to be here um, with you because schedule has drastically changed. And that's the only thing that had precluded me from being here before, that actually now, if um, the pandemic was not going on, I'd be in California teaching. So um, this is one of the things for me personally that has become available for me to actually commit to cultivating connection and relationship and sharing some of my thoughts and views and observances within communities where I am present and have connection. So when, um, I don't think it was when I was invited, I think I asked Greg what would be um, helpful or useful or um, you all wanting to hear about and he gave me some feedback about that and um, one of the things that um, he said which I, I was aware of um, is that there's been on many levels quite a bit of loss in this community over time over the last couple of years actually it's intensified certainly in the last year but um, the loss is not new, and I guess um, the last loss as a collective, as a community, as a sangha, and within that, whatever any one of you all's individual losses may have been or continue to be in these times. So that's what um, he said, and then I was like, I, just, I usually don't have this much challenge trying to hone in um, on what would be useful and for what I want to speak about. And um, as I kind of just went through the days of the last week or two, knowing that this was coming up, the, the thing that kept occurring to me was keep it simple. Keep it simple. Like in these times, and I use that frame more than once, and I want to just underscore a highlight that you know a lot of people in these difficult times in these troubling times in these challenging times of which all of that is true but you can bet your boopy <laughs> that um that's not new to being human that difficult times have been around for people for humanity since the beginning of time so that's not to deflate or underemphasize the challenges of this time, but to really ground us in not making this special. This is part of the condition of being embodied. This is part of the condition of being human. And we just happen to be living through this particular time where through technology and, and, and all of this kind of thing, it's just so in our face all the time, right? But it was in the face 
of the people who were enslaved, who were brought from Africa. It was in the face of the Jewish communities in terms of the Holocaust. It was in the face of the Japanese folks who were interned in camps in the United States. And it was certainly in the face of the indigenous people who had their lives, their land taken away from them. So I kind of, and that's just a gloss over. Like, you know, we, we don't, we only have 40 minutes or whatever, but you know, it's part, what I want you to see is it's part of the human condition. And, um, you know, Malcolm X, one of the mm, phrases, I guess, that he would use often, and I know there was a lot of fire with Malcolm X, so I'm not purporting that his view and his way was the only way or the right way, but one of the things that he um, would often bring forward is this comment about the chickens coming home to roost. And when I think about that uh, phraseology and uh, he was m Muslim, so didn't have, um, well, I say he didn't have awareness, but knowing him, that may not be true. He may have done some uh, Buddhist reading and studying. Um, but in relationship to the chickens coming home to roost, basically he's talking about karma. He's talking about cause and effect, you know. And so, so um, where we are today um, in this time where there is lots of loss and lots of grief, grief and lots of anger and lots of frustration and depression and, 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 and trauma is where we're, we're in a time of reconciling. We're in a time of, um, in my thoughts and my thinking, actually, I, I don't purport that this is true, but we are really at a point where it's being provided, the opportunity is being provided for us to um, make a jump in human evolution, into the evolution of the heart. You know, we've been um, conditioned and grounded in the, the, the cognating aspect of human beingness for many, many, many hundreds and hundreds of years now, trying to figure it out with the head trying to make it work with the head. Yeah, and now we see what we get from that. So really an opportunity to um, sit with and um, speak to and listen about or listen from a place of integration, a place where heart and mind become integrated in a whole way and that we make our choices, our decisions, and our actions, and that our views are informed by the two, by the both. So in keeping it simple, one of the things I said that I talk about, and I, I don't have um, an immense amount or a great deal of understanding or familiarity um, with the Zen way, so to speak, but um, I know we all take refuge. I know that's an integral part of our practice. And so, um, and, and really I wanted to point to that now more than ever, you know, a lot of us take refuge when we go on retreat. That's part of the form. That's part of what we do when we're on retreat. And what I'm, I'm asking us to actually um, entertain is like, maybe we might need to be taking every, refuge every morning and every evening and maybe the way things are now we need to take it at the top of every hour like nine o'clock take refuge 11 o'clock take refuge one o'clock take refuge like but to really 
bring that forward um, in our beingness and how we walk through the world. Yeah, so I looked up refuge, you know, I like to see what the English language definition of these words are and what it said under refuges is a condition of being safe or sheltered from pursuit, from danger or for trouble, from trouble. And so in these times, you know, the, the, um, the putting our eggs in the basket of the external, in a, in, a, in, a, in a seeking, in a wanting of finding safety, um, of finding sanctuary, we kind of go down the rabbit hole if that's what we're doing. You know, and it's really even some of the refuges that we may have um, engaged with pre-pandemic, um, pre, um, and I, you know, I can't really say pre in terms of um, Black Lives Matter because it's been going on for quite some time now. Um, but even before all of these were in our hearts and minds daily throughout the day, often, um, taking a look to see because we now oftentimes don't have access to that because of the pandemic because of sheltering in place. But what were we taking refuge in pre-pandemic when we just could go about our lives and could go shopping, you know, could go hang out at the um, pub and have a beer with friends, you know, um, could um, uh, get that run in, you know, um, just kind of all the average everyday things that we used to engage with in terms of behavior and in terms of um, identifying or um, extending ourselves in an effort to find peace and balance and calm. Even sometimes in terms of how we relate to our practice or related to our practice, you know, I, I know, and there are definitely a lot of people who are isolated and not in community and are having a really, really difficult time um, with this ratcheted down way of living in terms of engagement um, in person or physically um, with people. And, you know, outside of the conditions and circumstances of sickness and death, we would oftentimes call this a period of retreat. I can I can stay home. I don't I don't have to go out to work. You know, I can have my food delivered to me. You know, like all of these um kind of qualities of hmm, what's the word? Sitting back and not actually holding the interesting but perhaps wrong view that um these times, this necessity for, you know, I know we're not sheltered in place anymore, but there is a level of which we are engaging physically with each other and being in spaces and places together um, that are, have even been more highlighted by the young people returning to school and whatnot in this last week are not available to us right now. If you um, are part of the collective that says, I'm going to do this to keep us all safe and well because there's other collectives too. Hmm. So from the Dhammapada, this is what uh, 
has been said. And like I said, thinking about like I, one of the, so one of the places that I take refuge um, also is in music. That's one of the reasons why I offered that this morning. But the, another place that I take refuge is in nature, you know, and not nature on my terms, meaning it's always pleasant and like no humidity and the sun is shining, you know, and all of that. But like what's happening in California, that's nature now too, you know, influenced by some things, but that's what nature is doing in response to those influences, you know, the hurricanes and the tornadoes, like nature is um, hmm, requiring our attention requiring our attention. So from the Dhammapada, they go to many a refuge, to mountains, forests, parks, trees, and shrines, people threatened with danger. That's not the secure refuge. That's not the highest refuge. That's not the refuge having gone to which you can gain release from all suffering and stress. But when having gone for refuge to the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, you see with right discernment the Four Noble Truths, stress, the cause of stress, the transcending of stress, and the Noble Eightfold Path, the way to the stilling of stress. That's the secure refuge. That's the highest refuge. That is the refuge, having gone to which you gain release from all suffering and stress. And one of the, the um, ways that I hold this taking refuge, and you know, this is one of the early things we learn this is one of the early things um, in Buddhism, um, regardless of what form or lineage one is practicing, this taking refuge. And then it becomes kind of like it starts to take a back seat as we become interested in some of the more, um, mm, what's the word I want? Depth, challenging aspects of practice. Right, some of the more like the simplistic remembering of the four noble truths. Yeah, that's what we're all experiencing now, like the simplistic remembering to take refuge, the simplistic remembering the breath. Like really, when when there's there's a lot coming at you, uh, when there's a lot happening out there, the antidote is to become less complicated is to become more simple and not pinge our hopes on um, gaining access to some of these um, other aspects that's available uh, through practice like freedom um, to not hinge our hopes on the more we do the more practice that that's what's going to show up like we really are in a PhD time of practice. Like if we can, if we can move through this, having moved through the, if we can move through this intact, mentally, physically, um, 
socially, psychologically, allowing the practice to hold us and engaging with the practice in such a way um, that it really grounds us in the present moment because the strength in really being grounded in the present moment is being able to then make the best, is to then be able to engage skillful means in how we go about experiencing, understanding, and perceiving um, what's so. What's so. So again, not um, suggesting that the various um, components and aspects of practice that we can choose to engage with at any given moment, that none of them are um, certainly all of them are useful. Certainly all of them um, can support us. Certainly all of them can bring clarity and understanding and wisdom. But in these moments where sometimes it's even hard to catch a breath, in these moments when you stop and really be with what is happening now, the most simplistic grounded as grounding aspects of practice can really be the most helpful in holding you in leaning into. And it's, 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 you know, it's, there's the, the, the what's happening collectively and the what's happening out there in culture. But even, you know, a, a month ago, it was the last big storm that we had here in the Northeast. Um, I think I was on a Zoom call or working or uh, doing something and there was a huge, huge crash. I mean, I thought the house was actually exploding or something and um, ran to the front of the house and this big, big grandfather tree that was a hundred years old had fallen in our front yard. And so first, and so I've been, I've been living in this house away for some of, this is my mom's house. I live with my 96-year-old mom um, and my husband and our cat. Um, I've been living in this house off and on for 50 years. And that tree had been one of the sentinels that greeted me and that provided shade and that um, was a stake in the ground in terms of um, home. And so this, this tree fell and for the first two days fell across the front of the house. And so we weren't able to get out of the house from the front, we're able to get out from the back. My mom couldn't um, get out the back because they're scared. Uh, so the first couple of days, there was a lot of stress around just the, the tree falling, the trauma of this huge living thing that had been upright and grounded by its roots for at least 85, 90 years, having now succumbed to the conditions of nature, the wind and the rain, the wind and the rain, and had fallen. So first my attention and my energy and my effort was being expended by trying to get the township to deal with this tree that had fallen such that we could get out of our house. And fortunately for us, 
there are three trees in the front yard and this one is the one on the outskirts and it fell into the crook of the middle tree. So it did not fall on the roof, otherwise it would have crushed the house. So after that was all kind of um, managed to some degree, what I then became aware of was the heartache and the sadness that this tree um, was no longer here. This tree that had been a part of our family, this tree that had been rooted in this land, even before our family, even before this house was built, um, was no longer here. And so I, I tell that story to say it's not to, to be on the lookout, to be watchful, to be mindful of even the, um, maybe in the perspective of what's going on in the larger way to not step over, to not pass over um, those things which occur, that happen, that we are present to in daily life, which caused uh, a shakeup of the nervous system. A shakeup of the nervous system. And so I know you all have, um, you know, you're no longer physically attached to a place, a land place with, with Brooklyn Zen. And excuse me, I know that, um, you know, there have been changes and um, uh, people that have left in terms of staffing. And, um, you know, I know that um, Greg and Laura have had illness, have had sickness. And um, I know that um, there's been, um, what's the word I would use? A breaking up of some of the uh, relationships and circumstances and uh, community aspects of Brooklyn's in. And so I, 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 I just highlight that or bring that forward to um, suggest, and even though for those of you who are not necessarily ongoingly a part of this sangha, if there are those of you, to not overstep the nuanced places of challenge, to not overstep the uh, allowing, the creating even the conditions for presencing oneself in loss uh, with grief. Um, yeah, and to remember, to remember to take refuge, to remember to create sanctuary. This is what actually creates the container or the conditions for these nervous systems, for these hearts, for these minds to continue um, moving forward in a present, grounded way. And it's not just um, cultivating um, through taking refuge, um, cultivating through engaging the precepts, cultivating through studying and really engaging with the, the um, mm, miraculous wisdom that comes from truly understanding the Four Noble Truths and impermanence. Like these, these uh, um, 
just these components, these aspects um, of practice which um, hold us and which are available to engage with kind of regardless of what the heart mind state is at any given moment, even if it feels as you engage with them that there's a, a cutoff or um, you're not really, doesn't matter, do it anyway, take refuge and investigate for yourself what supports because really, um, you know, Dhamma, um, um, let's see, where do I want to go? with the time okay um really when you look at buddha dhamma sangha that's pretty descriptive of the whole of life like there's really nothing that we do or don't do that doesn't have some relationship um, or some engagement yeah, that's not included, that's not um, uh, connected to Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha. So I think I want to do an experiential with you and then leave a little bit of space for there to be some time for <laughs> question and response not question and answer. I don't have any answers. I'll have some responses for you, but I don't have any answers. I'm just trying to live like the rest of you um, in the best way that I can. Let's see. I'm just looking for something else I want to do as we, before we transition. Okay, here we go. So wanting to um, read something, uh, a response that Reverend Dr. William J. Barber II had um, five years ago, six years ago, I think it was. Um, I don't remember, but it was his response in relationship to one of the deaths of um, black bodies that happened five or six years ago. And since that time, he's also... Um, um, put together or created an organization around poverty. This is what he said. And so he's a, he's a Baptist Christian minister. Okay, so you're hearing it through that lens. I am a preacher, a son of a preacher, a preacher immersed in the movement from five years old. He's talking about the civil rights movement. I come to talk about faith and morality. I am a preacher and I am a theologically conservative, liberal, evangelical biblicist. I know it may sound strange, but I am a conservative because I work to conserve a divine tradition that teaches us to do justice, love, mercy, and walk humbly with our God working for a revival and calling for a moral revolution of values. In my heart, I am troubled and I am worried by the way faith is cynically used by some to serve hate, 
fear, racism, and greed. Domestic tranquility. When religion is used to camouflage meanness, we know that we have a heart problem in America. There have always been forces that wanted to harden and even stop the heart of our democracy, but there has also always been people who stood together to stir what Sister Dorothy called a revolution of the heart. And Dr. King called a radical revolution of values. Reviving the heart of our democracy, the watchword of our democracy and the watchword of faith is we. Now my friends, they tell me that when the heart is in danger, somebody has to call an emergency code and somebody with a good heart will bring a defibrillator to work on a bad heart because it is possible to shock a bad heart and revive the pulse. In this season, when some want to harden and stop the heart of our democracy, we are being called like our foremothers and fathers, many before us, to be the moral defibrillators of our times. We must shock this nation with the power of love. We must shock this nation with the power of mercy. We must shock this nation and fight for justice for all. The reason why um, I read that is that I think our practice, I think the Buddha, I think the Dhamma, I think the Sangha locates us perfectly um, in relationship to the uh, challenges and difficulties of these times to engage, engage like, you know, it's, it's not particular or specific to us because we are Buddhists, but there is something um, about this practice and about this lens, about this view, about this way of understanding, about this wisdom that comes, um, which is particularly um, useful for moving through these times and not, not useful, you know, um, don't want to offend anybody. And I know this is a predominantly Zen community that I'm speaking to. Um, so there might be more offense in my community in terms of the Theravadan community. But, um, you know, who knows? Who knows where freedom lies? Who knows if it's outside of the embodiment of who we are in this moment? all walking the earth on this time. Who knows what happens? Who knows where we'll be? Who knows where we won't be when we are no longer embodied? But what I can tell you is that this practice, this way of understanding, this way of knowing, um, is hmm, crafted in such a way that we have access to 
freedom in each and every moment of our waking hours. And the freedom that I'm speaking to is the freedom from the conditioning, the freedom from um, being reactivated or activated in response to conditions or persons or circumstances, the freedom to be who we are unafraid, the freedom to be able to meet whatever comes our way with a magnitude of heart and wisdom to know in that moment what the choice is, what the action may be or not be, where we want to direct our energy, not in reaction to something, but because we want to be engaged in contributing to the lessening of suffering for all beings. Okay. So we're going to do a little experiential and then we'll have, I guess, about 10 minutes. I don't know. <laughs> um, for feedback questions. So everybody get comfortable. You know, sit however you sit. Uh, this is going to be an experiential that I'm bringing to you from out of the um, IFOT world that I also exist in, the indigenous focusing. So this experiential um, is based in um, an indigenous worldview. Um, and one of the main components or aspects that's um, prevalent and included in the indigenous worldview is the connection to land, the connection to nature, the connection to all beings, our animal brothers and sisters, um, insects, all beings. So this may be helpful and give you all a little bit, give any one of you a little bit more space around something that may have been causing some contraction or difficult. So just sitting comfortably, trying this on. If as I move forward with the guidance, there's not a resonant for you, please feel free to disengage and just sit and practice. However, if you do try it on, um, there's a real possibility that you can walk away from this experiential with a bit more space and some freedom around an issue or a person or a circumstance. So just settling in and relaxing. Breathing in and breathing out. Taking a moment now to think of a person or a circumstance or a condition that you're struggling with, where there's some challenge or some trouble or some difficulty. Not the biggest challenge or the most difficult person. Just where there is now some constriction or contraction or some lack of movement around something right now in your life. Just taking a moment now to notice that person or that circumstance or that condition out there in front of you. 
making some space between you and it or you and them. It might be a couple of feet in front of you, might need to be all the way across the room, but just that space that makes it more comfortable for you to be with this for a bit. It's really important that you find that person or situation or circumstance to work with. If you don't have somebody or something, then maybe better to not do this and just sit. Now taking a bigger step back and having a good look with some perspective at that person over there or that circumstance over there or that situation over there, letting it be or letting that person be, letting that circumstance be, letting that situation be at its very worst out there in front of you. Really get a sense of that person or circumstance out there in front of you being oh so difficult, so challenging, observing them closely, observing the circumstance closely. And taking a look at that person or circumstance being so difficult over there, what kind of animal might that person be being there? What kind of animal might that circumstance be reflected by? A hissing snake, a wolverine out to attack, a pathetic mouse, an angry bear, just letting them be there, over there, whatever comes forward, just let that be. Let that circumstance just be there, being that animal. And now bringing yourself back to your own body, checking in, noticing what's there and seeing what kind of animal you are there in the face of that animal over there. What animal would you be called to be when facing that animal over there? Notice yourself there when you are at your worst. What animal are you? And taking another moment and looking to see what kind of animal you would need to transform yourself into to make the best for all concerned. Best for them, best for that situation, and an elegant resolution for you. Take a moment and try that on. Noticing yourself being your best animal there. How does the situation change in the face of this new you? How is it there in your body now? 
notice how the relationship changes when you change. Leaning into nature. Animals are alive and they usually operate in life from their own true nature. We are nature. And in an all my relations way, related to nature and animal to animal. As we take this last moment, just looking to see what is the medicine here for you? What is this medicine in relationship to the person, the circumstance, and who you became to be an iteration of your best self, an elegant resolution. Thinking maybe of one step, just one step you can take from this new place of being. Now that there's some space around that constricted, confined, reactive trauma place. I'm taking a breath. And another breath. And a third breath. And coming back to the present now. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.